Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Well, Sunday morning has always been one of my favorite times uh, throughout the week. It's been like that since I was a child. And so you'll never find me saying I'm not excited to be at church. But some weeks there you're just a little bit more excited. And for me, that's today. I don't know what it is. I'm just very, very excited to be here. Thoroughly enjoyed that time of worship. So thank you, worship team. And I'm excited to bring us to a close of the series that we have been working through throughout the course of January called A Life of Apprenticeship, a series that is all about unpacking what it means to follow Jesus and how we can do that best. And up until this point, we've talked about how, once again, following Jesus is really an an invitation to apprenticeship, to journey alongside Jesus and to become like him, as is the goal of any apprentice. And in order for us to do that, we have to partner with God, right? Our spiritual formation is a partnership. It's not a 50-50 partnership. I don't know exactly what the ratio is. God certainly does more of it than we do. Rebecca just reminded us of that. But it is a partnership. And, And the part that we play is taking the things that form us the most as human beings, right? Our beliefs and our habits and our relationships and orienting them around Jesus, Right? So it means that we allow the teaching of Jesus to inform our beliefs. We allow the practices of Jesus to inform our habits. And we allow the body of Christ to inform the relationships that we intentionally decide to engage in in our life. And so that's our part. It's essentially just creating space for the Spirit to come then and transform us into his image with ever-increasing glory, in the words of Paul. And so last week we did a bit of a deeper dive into teaching and what that does for us. And, and we looked at Romans and we were reminded that, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And in order for us to do that, we have to go to his word. And I think this is the last time Dallas will be speaking today, but... The process, this is what Dallas Willard says, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. And so that's what happens when we go to the word. We're replacing our own thoughts and our own ideas, thoughts and ideas that have probably come from the environment in which we live and we're just replacing them with the thoughts and ideas of God, which plays a vital role in shaping us into the person that we're going to become. So that was last week, and we're finishing our series today by going into a bit of a deeper dive into into the role of practice and community. And prior to doing all of that, why why don't we just pray? Dear Lord, we thank you for this time, we thank you for this community that we can gather and this space that we can gather in and come and worship you and open your word. And I pray that as we continue to do that this morning, that we would just be attentive, not to what I'm saying, but just to what we see your word reveal. Um, and we, may we just go home continually dwelling on the role that your word has and your teaching has and your community has on our lives. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke 6. 
Luke 6, 43 to 49, a large chunk of teaching that Luke records in his gospel, and in it, Jesus says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And evil people bring out evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let's just pause there for a second. We're going to keep working through that passage, but let's stop there for a second. So last week we looked at teaching and how it, how it renews our minds and how it allows us to see God's will a little bit more clearly. But spiritual formation can't stop at teaching, right? Being an Enneagram 5, this is a struggle for me to say because I live up in my mind all the time, but you can't think your way to Christ-likeness. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You cannot think your way to Christ-likeness. And, and I say that confidently because of a couple reasons. One, I think that's what Jesus is telling us here. Right? He's saying that it's out of the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. Right? It's, it's our heart that determines the way in which we choose to interact with people and the, the words we choose to speak to one another. And the way we choose to live our lives, while it's influenced by the things that we believe, right, and the, and the things that go on in our mind, it's actually more influenced by the things that we actually desire to do, right? It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. The second reason why I can, can confidently say that we can't think our way to Christ-likeness is based on my own experience, and I'm sure lots of you can relate to this. I, I grew up going to church, as I previously mentioned. It was part of my everyday, weekly, or not everyday, my weekly routine. And I've sat there and listened to many of sermons, and I've heard the word presented to me, I've heard application points, and I've sat there and been convinced that I want to implement whatever someone up here said into my life. And then Monday rolls around, and there are challenges that present us with that. Let's... Let's use an example. Let's say, and I, I use this example because Matt Delaney actually preached this summer on patience. So let's, let's take, imagine we're, you've heard a sermon on patience and you sit here and you listen and you're like, yep, being a patient, it's biblical, it's the way of Jesus, it will clearly benefit every relationship I have in my life. There's nothing preventing me and from wanting to be a patient person. And so you leave Sunday and you're very convinced that you want to be a patient person. And then Monday comes around, and you're heading out to work, and you realize you live in Canada, so you have to push all the snow off of your car. And so you do that, and you're running a little late, but that's okay. And then you're driving, and you get stuck behind someone driving a little bit slower than you would like, but not a problem. You're a patient person now. You can deal with it. And then you pull into your go-to Tim stop, and there's a few extra cars waiting to get their morning coffees, so that delays you a little bit more. Once again, not a problem. You heard that message. You're a patient person. You're good to go. And then you keep going throughout your day, and let's say by like the 3 o'clock hour, um, you realize that maybe someone that you work with, a coworker, made a mistake on a project that just cost you guys a lot of time, and you snap. Whatever snapping looks like for you, maybe it's not yelling, maybe it's being passive-aggressive, 
or just deciding to do the project on your own, or gossiping, um, or maybe yelling. I hope not. Um, but what happened there? Like, we were doing so well. What, what is it that caused us to slip? Well, what happened is that we only have a finite amount of ability and willpower to force ourselves to be patient, right? And the solution to that problem is not more information. We haven't forgotten what was preached the day before. The solution to the problem is not going and re-watching that sermon. You haven't forgotten what was said. The solution is aligning our hearts with our mind, right? Because the real issue here is that we, the heart just isn't quite in it yet, right? It, being patient isn't something that we genuinely desire to do just yet. And so we're at this tension between what our mind is telling us we should do and what our heart actually desires to do. And we know that in the war between our minds and our hearts, who typically calls the shots, right? It's, it's typically our hearts, and that's, that's what I believe Jesus is communicating here. It's out of the overflow of our heart that we choose to interact and to, to speak and to act with those around us. Let's keep, keep working through that passage this morning. So Jesus continues and goes on and says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. He's basically teeing himself up to, say, to answer the question, why should you actually go about doing the things that I say? And he says this. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came in and torrents struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. The moment that torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And so, what is Jesus telling us here this morning? I think in its most basic, basic, basic version of what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that the things that we do, and you've, you've heard me say this in the series before, the things that we do, do something to us, right? There's something about the physical acts of doing something on the outside actually impacts what's going on on the inside. And that might not actually be a message that we hear often these days, but I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. The things that we do with our lives actually impact what's going on inside. And I love what this happens because it's, this is very much in alignment with basically every book on the science of habit. Right? They say the exact same thing. A few years ago, there's a book, probably more than a few years ago now, there's a book that came out called The, P the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And in the book, I mean, he says a lot, but you can kind of summarize the whole book in this one line where he says, the difference between who you are and who you want to be is what you do. And so if we think of that quote in, in reference to what we've been talking about, um, there's a person who we are and there's a person who we want to be, right? And that is someone working towards Jesus. And that gap, it's not a gap of closest to God. We know that we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. But it's a gap between who we're seeking to become. And the way to fill that gap is not by filling our minds with a bunch of stuff while that serves a purpose. Largely, that gap is filled by the things that we do. Because the things that we do with our, every, our daily and weekly habits actually impact our heart, right? And the things that we desire. And I know that we typically think that that's the mind that plays that role, 
And once again, it does to a certain extent. But it, it doesn't actually play the, the largest role, right? The, the biggest influence on our hearts are the things that we choose to orient our daily and our weekly habits around, right? Which as apprentices of Jesus is so important for us to understand because according to Jesus, it's out of the overflow of our hearts that the mouth speaks and that we choose to live our lives. So all of that to say is that teaching has to lead to practice, right? Because as we practice the way of Jesus and we actually do it, that we're formed into his likeness. Not because we're being more obedient, but because it's actually forming our hearts. And, and that's the place where our words and our actions actually flow out of. Once again, Jesus says this, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man, who built, a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. So when a flood came, when the challenges of life presented themselves to us and challenges to our apprenticeship to Jesus came, that torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built, right? Because the heart was aligned with the heart of the risen Jesus. And when we have a transformed mind from going to his word and a transformed heart from engaging in his practices, we can be formed into that house that is firmly planted. So when I say practices of Jesus, what exactly am I referring to? There's no official list of the practices of Jesus, um, but there are different kind of breakdowns that can be helpful in terms of trying to figure out what exactly these practices are and how we can engage in them. So the first kind of breakdown are practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus, right? It's by going to the Word and seeing the way that Jesus kind of chose to live his life and then just making... 21st century versions of those same decisions. And, and if, you're, if you're familiar with uh, the term spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are essentially practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus. So what did Jesus' lifestyle look like? Well, he did a few things, and this list is not exhaustive. This is just a list that, of things that I have come up with. He regularly set, set aside time to pray. Quite often in the gospel messages, you see Jesus withdrew to a lonely place to pray. That's a lifestyle decision. He also regularly integrated prayer into his everyday life. Sometimes he's in the middle of a preaching and he breaks out into prayer or he's in the middle of a conversation with someone and he starts praying. That's a lifestyle decision, right? He fasted, he practiced silence and solitude, he practiced a Sabbath, he worshiped, he engaged in a Sunday morning gathering, he rested. It says far too often in the New Testament that Jesus was sleeping that's, he says it way too often for that not to be important to us. So if you're looking for application from the message today, it's go home and take a nap. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, he lived a slow-paced slow life, right? You don't often see Jesus in a rush. Um, when people come and tell him that Lazarus is on his deathbed, it says Jesus takes like two days before leaving, right? If there's ever a chance for him to be in a hurry, that would be it. But he didn't do it, right? He lived a slow-paced life, and he made intentional decisions about making that happen. He also lived a simple life, right? He didn't feel the need to have a ton. He quite often mooched a lot of the time, and that's not something I would recommend. But he didn't feel the need to have a lot, right? So those are, those are lifestyle decisions that Jesus made that we too can make that will aid us in our formation into his image because it's those practices, again, that form our heart and our heart is the place that we kind of 
That's the over, like our actions and our words are the overflow of our heart. They're also practices based on the teachings of Jesus. So these are, these are practices that Jesus, in his teaching, just communicates of things that we should do, right? Uh, practicing gratitude. Gratitude is not just a feeling. It's something that you can actually practice, um, and I'm not going to elaborate a lot on it. You can go back and watch Silas's sermon from the sermon he preached just after Christmas. He, he talked about forming a heart of gratitude. Hospitality, Bible study, forgiveness, not worrying, humility, prayer, loving our enemies. Again, these are all things that Jesus communicates to us that we should practice, not just for the sake of being obedient, but because they actually form us. And the third category are practices based on the mission and ministry of Jesus. Right? Serving, justice, preaching the gospel, peacemaking, investing in people far from God. These are things that Jesus came to do and that we can adopt into our daily and weekly habits that once again form us. Because by doing these things, in, in all three of these categories, right, by engaging in the practices of Jesus, the, Spirit, the, the Word says the Spirit actually curates our heart to better resemble the heart of God. And if our desire is to be like Jesus then we have to allow that to happen, right? Because it's out of the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. And so, once again, teaching without practice likely is not going to get us where we want to be in our apprenticeship journey. But there's also a third thing we need, and that's my attempt at a smooth transition into now talking about that third part of our spiritual formation paradigm, which is community. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at one more passage this morning in Hebrews 10. So Hebrews 10:24. Hebrews is a letter written to a group of culturally Jewish people that had converted to Christianity. Um, the book of Acts calls them followers of the way. That's typically the, the term. They, they use Christian a few times, but I like, I like the, the translation in Acts, followers of the way. And these followers of the way had been experiencing immense persecution for their belief in who and what Jesus of Nazareth had done. And so we don't actually know who wrote the letter of the Hebrews, but we do know it was written to these Jewish followers of the way. Um, and, and, and the writing was there to encourage them uh, in their discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus and to continue to remain faithful in spite of that persecution. And so in the letter he writes this, Hebrews 10:22. he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's a ton, I know, and it's really hard to explain all of what that means without spending quite an amount of time on the chunk that comes before this. For the time being, we'll just summarize that to mean in light of all that Jesus has done for us. He goes on to say this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Right? In the midst of persecution, in the midst of living in an environment that doesn't see the world the way we see the world and see Jesus the way we see Jesus, we must remain faithful to our apprenticeship to Jesus. Right? Unswervingly faithful. So similar to that image we just looked at with the house, that house that is firmly planted. Right? May we be stable and secure and able to navigate life in our cultural environment without swaying from the path that God intends for us to walk. But that's not that easy, right? There's challenges in life. And so what does the writer go on to say? How can we do that? He says, 
Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what's the advice that the writer of Hebrews is giving to the people? Right? How can they remain unswervingly faithful to Jesus? Well, his blueprint is not that complicated. He says, gather together. Right? That's the advice that he gives. And as I was engaging in this passage this week, um, that simple truth actually became more and more profound as, as I dwelled on it. Because remember, the, the people that he's writing to are people who are experiencing immense persecution. And the easiest way to get caught is to gather together. And in response to that, the writer tells them not to give up gathering, right? He doesn't say find new ways to be an apprentice. He doesn't say be an apprentice in your basement or be an apprentice in your head. No, he says refuse to give up gathering. And the only way that that actually makes sense is if there's no other way if there's no other way to practice the way of Jesus. And guess what? There is no other way to practice the way of Jesus than to do it in community. There's, there's no other way to do it. And thankfully, the writer doesn't just leave us there. He, he lets us in on a few reasons why community and living in intentional Christian formative community is important for us. And there's a long list that I could give you as to things that why we should engage in community but in the interest of time, we'll just stick to whatever the writer mentions for us in this passage. And so, why should we prioritize community? Number one, he says that because by gathering together, we spur one another on. That word, that word spur in the Greek, it can have a, a few translations, which is why if you're reading different English translations, sometimes they don't use spur, they use a different word. Sometimes you'll see stimulate or provoke. Um, in, in Acts 15... There's a passage where uh, Paul and Barnabas get in kind of a fight, and the word they use to describe the fight is the same word they use here for spur, right? And so I'm not a Greek expert by any means, so I'm not going to say one word is better than the other, but let's just go with all of them, right? Being in community allows us to provoke one another, stimulate one another, irritate one another, that's one of the translations, disagree with one another, which according to the writer in Hebrews, all of which push us towards love and good deeds, right? They push us towards the likeness of Jesus. Because if we want to become like Jesus, we have to be able to identify the ways in which we aren't. And yes, there are good tools out there that can aid us in identifying some, some character flaws in our own lives, but there is no tool better to identify the ways in which we aren't like Jesus than by living in intentional community. Because when we're in community, we're with people who aren't the exact same as us. And they expose us for what we truly are, which is essential in our apprenticeship to Jesus. I think when, when we think of community, we, we tend to idolize it a little bit. Um, and we think of it as this group of people that just get along and are perfect and are best friends. And it's this like fairy tale version of community. And that's nice when that happens, um, but that isn't actually the context that formative community takes place, right? It takes place when you surround yourself by other apprentices of Jesus that are a little different than you, 
right? And that spur you on and to reveal to you the ways in which you aren't like Jesus so that you can then grow throughout that process. Because if community was meant to be this accumulation of everyone that was exactly like you, Jesus actually picked his community rather poorly. Because I can assure you that fishermen and tax collectors and Pharisees and zealots and tradesmen did not see things eye to eye in every single situation. Yet that's the community that Jesus picked. right? And he picked that community because he knew that they would help each other grow and that they would spur one another on towards the likeness of Jesus and towards love and good deeds. So that's the first thing that the author and writer of Hebrews identifies. I assure you the the next two are a little briefer. The second thing he says is that it provides encouragement, right? Apprenticeship to Jesus is not easy, right? Because life isn't easy. We've said that. And there are lots of challenges and complications that come as we try to walk the path that Jesus wants us to walk. And it's a significantly harder path to walk without the encouragement and the support of those around us. And I know, again, based on personality types, we might feel different levels of need about how much support we get from from each other. But everyone needs some, right? And again, I'm a pretty independent person. And so being individualistic is actually something that I struggle with. Um, And so I have to constantly keep that on my mind. But I, I can reflect on moments in my life when I had to hurdle something in my apprenticeship to Jesus, and I know that I couldn't have hurdled that without the support of those around me. And I know I don't need to keep preaching that because I know most of us probably can relate to that. The final thing that the passage identifies is that Christian community is that it it directs our attention on the thing most worthy of our attention, right? And I say that in reference to the writer, the writer's reference to the day of the Lord, Right? Community keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. And there's a lot of things in our world that demand our attention and that claim are worthy of our attention. Right? The leafs. Oh, the leafs. They demand my attention quite a bit. Um, the bachelor, your car, your bank account, your job. These are all things that at points def- definitely do deserve our attention. But as apprentices of Jesus, we know that there is something much more ultimate that deserves our attention. And so as we try to battle that with the patterns of our world and the things that claim that deserve our attention, being in community helps us keep Jesus at the top of our priority list and keeping him at our attention as we go about our own lives. And so those are three things, brief things that that the writer reveals as to why community is important to us as apprentices of Jesus. And I'll just supplement it and close it off with this final thing, something that we we mentioned last week. The people that we surround ourselves with play a vital role in shaping the person that we're ultimately going to become. And if our desire is to become like Jesus, then we cannot do that unless we put our best foot forward in surrounding ourselves by other apprentices of Jesus. So that's the spiritual formation paradigm. We did it. If we have it up there, we've made our way through all three of those things. And so it is now time to land... (laughs) I put in my notes, land the ship. I don't think that's the right phrase. Land the plane. Yeah. Um, Land the ship. Um, So when you registered for the service this morning, you may have noticed that the website looks a little bit different. Um, And on that new version of it, there is a section devoted to discipleship. 
And the purpose of that was, A, just to outline some of the things that we've talked about throughout the course of this series. And the second thing is to provide you with tangible ways in which you can engage in the teachings of Jesus and in Scripture, ways you can engage in the practices of Jesus, and ways that you can engage in formative Christian community. And while our sermon series is over now, our spiritual formation certainly isn't. And for many of us, maybe this is actually the start of it. And so I want to just land our attention on some of the practical ways in which we can um, engage in practice and community. We, we focused on teaching last week and the practical ways we can do that. Um, but let's just briefly focus on things that we can do to engage in the practices of Jesus and ways we can engage in formative community. So in terms of practice, um, how can we as Northridge engage in the practices of Jesus? I could explain it to you, but we actually have a video put together, so you can just play that video now. Things we do do something to us. They shape and they mold our thoughts, actions, and heart's desires. It's been said that we are little more than an accumulation of our daily and weekly habits. As disciples of Jesus, as those seeking to be formed into His likeness, we cannot hope for that to happen unless we allow our daily and weekly habits to resemble the daily and weekly habits of Jesus. That's because the more and more we do something, the more and more it forms us into the person we're ultimately going to become. As a church, we're doing something called the Practice of the Month. Every month, we're going to highlight one specific practice of Jesus. Practice is based on the lifestyle, teaching, and ministry of Jesus. The goal of the Practice of the Month isn't to make your life busier or to be something to add to your calendar, but help you make intentional decisions about who and what you're allowing to form yourself. And by engaging in it, slowly but surely align your life to the life of the risen Jesus. If you go to our website, you'll find information that helps you understand each month's practice and how to best integrate it into your life. Visit NorthridgeSA.com backslash practice for more information. So that first practice that we're going to be focusing on in February is actually called Practicing the Presence of God. Engage in it with us, please, please, please. If, if you think that God is this absent God, then practicing his presence is the practice for you. Um, and again, that information is on our website. So in terms of community, how can we engage in community? And on that same webpage, you'll see that we have put small groups. Um, I don't need to give you the small, the small groups pitch. We've given that to you many of times. Um, the one thing I will say is that you'll notice that attending a Sunday service is not actually listed under community. That's not to say we don't get to know each other on a Sunday morning. We definitely do. As a new person here, I can say I have got to know people on a Sunday morning. But formative community, right? Community that experiences that which the writer of Hebrews mentioned to us this morning doesn't typically happen on a Sunday morning. And so you may have barriers to engaging in formative community. You might have complications and challenges that prevent you from doing that. But as I close today, I'm just going to take a play out of the playbook of the writer of Hebrews 
because he too was speaking to people who had challenges in engaging in formative community. And yet his advice to them was to not stop gathering. And so I personally am convicted that I can't accurately preach the gospel and the word of God unless I just communicate that same message, right? We might have challenges to our to engaging in formative community, and my encouragement to you is find a way to make it work, right? Engage in formative community with the diverse group of people that we have that make up Northridge Community Church because an individualistic pursuit of Jesus is not actually practicing the way of Jesus, and it isn't intentionally living a life of apprenticeship, right? That community aspect is vital. I will encourage the worship team to come up as we close in prayer this morning. Dear Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity that you have given to us to walk this journey of apprenticeship to you. Um, and in, in the midst of discussing all of the ways that we can play our part in our formation, uh, we haven't forgotten that all of this is really only possible because you have brought us near to you. Right? All of this is, is an opportunity that commences because of what you have done for us. Um, it's not an opportunity that any of us here are worthy of, but something that we've been given. And so as I pray that as we leave this series behind us and, and continue to, to press on into our own apprenticeship and discipleship and spiritual formation, that you would teach us how to best do that, teach us how to best play our part. Um, we all have challenges in our life that, that are unique to us, and I pray that you would just help us overcome those challenges. Help us to, to, commun to commune, commune with you and to see how your teaching and your practice and the community you've given to us can help overcome some of those challenges so that we can continue to walk that path that you want us to walk um, and to help others do that as well. Right? Our, our goal is not just individual pursuit. We want to walk alongside people Right? Our, our discipleship is meant to disciple others, as you say in your word. And so um, help us just embrace a communal discipleship alongside one another as we continue to walk this path that you intend us to walk. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you are here and that there's nothing that we can do to escape your presence. And so we thank you for that. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.